Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Greasers. I hope you're having an okay week. Um, I recommended candles the other week. I just want to recommend Tony's Chocolate. <laughs> I think it's the only way I've survived so far lockdown. I will just flag that if you buy one, you will, it will be gone by the end of the day. That's the only thing I will say. Um, they're not. This isn't sponsored in any way, shape or form. This is a public service announcement. This week, I'm talking to the extraordinary Jess Mills. Jess is a musician, a podcaster, and a founder of the Tessa Jow Foundation. Tessa Jow was, in fact, her mum, which is why Tess now heads up the Tessa Jow Foundation, where she's leading the delivery of her mother's legacy. And Jess came in to talk to me about her mum, who died of a rare brain cancer just 10 weeks after Jess had given birth. It's been okay. I mean, God, I mean, it's it's been a mixture of like highly intense and highly okay at times. Mm, yes. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've got two small children and I've had lots of different kind of worky things that I've been having to juggle. I mean, there's a few different things that I do um, kind of between music and, and the podcast and then also setting up my mum's uh, Legacy Foundation. So um, it's been, I mean, come on, it's been fucking mental, basically. But, <laughs> but we're all still standing, aren't we? And I just think, I know. for me, this whole thing about COVID being the ultimate leveller, I just thought, could, I mean, it just felt, felt so grossly wrong. You know, mm. I think, if anything, it's just amplified kind of inequality even more profoundly both in people's experiences of it and also how visible it is um mm. and I you know and within that I think as somebody who's who is has incredible you know security and privilege in their life I just feel like I 
just shouldn't fucking complain about anything <laughs> i think you're you'll use the right term of like we all have a, an experience in common but the experience is very different yeah but so you mentioned her already um but i do always ask the questions um who are we remembering today we are remembering my mum tessa Jow. tessa Jow, yeah. which i think for most people would ring a bell because obviously she was uh, a politician up until fair, yeah until recently yeah until recently so my mum was a I guess what she was was most well known for was I I suppose like the last sort of 15 20 years of her career when she was she was a minister and uh, secretary of state in Tony Blair's government and she was public health minister but she mum was known and loved for being so much more than that she was Mm. she was a truly authentic person through and through and you know the the way that she would kind of show up and show love and enthusiasm and her just kind of unconditional sense of kind of support for people would would be the same as that she would show for a friend as she would for her constituents Mm. um and or for her colleagues in Westminster and so I think I think what she's most known for now, I think one of her greatest legacies beyond the very, very brilliant and impactful work she did as a politician in her life is just actually what a totally wonderful human being she was. And she really was. And I am just infinitely, infinitely proud of everything that she she is and that she was. It's really. I always find it really interesting talking to people who have lost someone who was such a public figure. Because mm. I think it was a slightly not different just un- the circumstances are different you know what I mean that like so what you know when she when she died it was something that was news mm. and I mean I wonder we can maybe get on to talk about that so so how long ago was it what was the so mum died and I have to still get my head around the d word but I have to say it because she died she did die I still find it so it feels so brutal and awful mm. in my mouth every single time I say it but I I'm making myself not say passed away mm. because I I just have to start <laughs> accepting more more what has happened and I think being able to use that language I think for me is is an important part of it so she died two years ago in May on the 12th of May 2018 so it's still very very I, you know raw and and fresh is the wrong word but it's the only word I think of like yeah. some, talking to someone who's 20 years plus down the line mm. I think two years is still very very early and I completely understand I think I've said this on the show before but um, I was having therapy and I used to always say my dad died when I was 15 boom there's a sentence I haven't really acknowledged it like it's not do you know what I mean it wasn't connecting and then she once was like oh you, you say it like he's still doing something and mm. I was like what she was like you don't say like my dad is dead and I was like uh, <laughs> because he's not <laughs> like I had completely done the same thing that word I'd made it this phrase that was safe like you said yeah. like for me it was past words like my dad died when I was 15 it, it didn't mean much but having to say oh my dad's dead I found that like yeah unbelievably difficult all of a sudden I can't I can't bear it actually and, e- and even mm. having just just saying it then you know my heart is now kind of racing quite yeah galloping in my throat and it's a very very triggering word for me saying that she's dead and it just feels too awful a thing to say about her which is and I think it's just very it just it's so when language becomes so real 
exactly you know, like it is, yeah. and it's very easy to ha- to be in grief and not and it, it's really hard to explain I think if it hasn't happened to you because it sounds like you're saying like you don't you don't believe it or you you in your head you think they're still alive and it's not that it's just you're just not saying the words ignore like looking at it directly I guess it's like the sun isn't it you're just like mm. it's there with you but you're not completely facing it because it's it's deeply painful and I'm not surprised Jess two years in is is really early in a grief grief journey and grief experience yeah and and it, and it does still feel like that and it does still I mean it, it's still on very much in in the tip of my consciousness you know and 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 on the kind of surface of all of my senses and Mm. I just to kind of go back to 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 what you were just saying it's just so true and you know the language around passing away and died it's got a kind of active component somehow within it there's an implication of living still yeah yeah definitely that's what my therapist said she said you said it like you say it like he's running yeah like he died yeah. he's running he's uh out for a walk he's just at work like it seemed active yeah exactly and I think it's the absolutely kind of hard end stop of the word dead which is mm. just so it's very very painful to say and I also think there comes a time when it you have to lean in to it as part of your process of kind of acceptance Mm. for me anyway accepting completely without fire or rage or fury or devastation about what's happened is actually proving to be quite a big part of what's enabling me to kind of um to 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 start what what feels like healing Mm. death is just so weird it's so (sighs) weird because even though this person dies or is dead there is still so much continuity of them that continues yeah and so you're kind of pulled between it's the physical absence but then still the kind of resonance of so much of them still it's a very 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 odd hinterland it really yeah. really is and I, and I think I'm 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 kind of still in that you know it's been two years which is in some ways an, an, an impossibly long time to have not seen her or spoken to her, you know, someone that I spoke to every single day or, you know, saw, you know, two or three times a week, even mm. as an adult. But in other ways, it is a very short amount of time too, you're right. And I, um, and particularly because, you know, mum wasn't, you know, mum got ill very, very, well, we we learnt of her being ill basically overnight you know there wasn't and then from the point at which she was diagnosed to when she died was was less than a year so it's actually so quick it's actually been three years I mean three years ago the bomb had just detonated if you know what I mean yeah Um, and just to remind people what what was it she died of so mum was um at the end on the 24th of May uh Three years ago, she was she was on her way to do a to go and host an event in East London to which was all about um, promoting the re-stimulation of Sure Start, which was her life's passion, um, early childhood, and it was one of the the, the things that she did in, in the Labour go- government that was was actually one of the, the Labour government's greatest successes, but also mm. one of the things that she was was most well known for, and um, she was on her way to host 
the event and um, we'd just been on the phone actually just before and she got in a taxi and suddenly couldn't formulate her words at all and um, she remembers all of this part and then she she can't remember what happens after this but basically what happened was she she then lost the ability to speak completely and luckily the taxi driver that she was with could see something was very severely wrong and took her into the first police station near where they were which was in Bishopsgate in Liverpool Street and took her in and she she tried to again try to, to speak and explain to the police what was, was happening couldn't formulate her language and then had a massive seizure um, in the police station and, and then was very very deeply unconscious and then was rushed to the Royal London Hospital she had another huge seizure on the way and then, um, I mean, there's there's many many stories within this story alone, but um, I'll I'll keep to the kind of the, the, to the main points. Basically, then she she started to regain consciousness about six hours later, and they thought initially she'd had a stroke, um, and then they the next day did a series of of scans to assess what was going on, and then they discovered a three centimeter large high grade brain tumor in the speech and language centers of her brain which luckily they were able to um, do surgery on. But the type of brain tumour she had, which was called a glioblastoma, is is basically the most aggressive form of not just brain cancer, but cancer that you can, you can mm-hmm. have. Um, and it's very, very difficult to treat. And what happens is the cancer basically, even though you have a kind of large focal point of tumour, you do have a kind of solid tumour, the tumour basically diffuses cancer cells so you have it's like a kind of mist that you can't Mm. extract out of the brain basically so and then in time in in not much time that mist starts to kind of form into kind of solid masses and she was yeah she was diagnosed officially at the beginning of June and she um she died on the 12th of May less than a year later that must have been such a shock to get a diagnosis like that because I it sounds like until that point she was working and you know doing events and very present to suddenly find out to hear the words tumor and you know aggressive and all of that stuff I think all griefs are unique all griefs are individual but yeah I think cancer grief is a really strange having been there myself it's a really strange process because that that diagnosis is when like you said your world starts to like you know slip out of focus and you're trying to grasp at it and then there's just this weird limbo until they die and then grieving in capital letters begins but you as everyone says the grief process often starts at that diagnosis because that's when you're told this person doesn't have much time left in in you know some cases of cancer so yeah, it must have been such a shock well it was it was it was a catatonic shock I mean it, it really it really was you know we went from you know what I call the sort of the, the magic of the ordinary mm. which is basically all that you want yeah when something like this detonates on your life you know the the day that mum um had you know the few hours before mum had these seizures we were on the phone planning her 70th birthday which was in September at the end of that summer you know she was saying oh darling you know to be honest whatever we do I don't mind if if this is what 70 looks like then I think it's bloody fabulous you know and she said I've never felt better she was so fit so well she you know could do handstands and yoga she worked out four times a week she'd just come off the back of running for London Mayor the year before you know she was 
in some ways in a kind of almost a whole new level of dynamism in her mm. in her life and her professional life I think that also came from being kind of freed up from all the constraints of, of being a very very senior politician and um, was you know she'd been made a very senior fellow at Harvard and so was spending lots of time in the States and and then I guess the thing that was, for me, the the kind of most intense agony for me about mum getting ill and then dying when she did was that it intersected directly with me becoming a mother. So what mm. I basically had in that... So my daughter Ottie was born on the 28th of February. Mum was diagnosed on the 24th of May when Ottie was... Um, 11 and a half weeks old and then the first year of Otty's life so the first year of me becoming a mother was basically overlaid with me losing my mum I, I never could have anticipated how intensely I needed my mum through becoming mm. a mum myself and the experience of being mothered by her as a new mother myself was, was some of the most treasured precious time of my happiest time of my life and I I remember being so present with it at the time and you know mum and I had a deeply 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 kind of interwoven kind of molecular closeness you know I'm 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 very very lucky in that I was I was born into an incredibly loving big loving family and um but you know mum really since I was born <laughs> throughout my life has kind of been the central most important pillar mm. my whole life and you know of course my life has been out been built out beyond that for things which mm. are just, which are my own which are of course now the centers of my of my world in in a different way but all of it was kind of built upon built out from the the structure that this kind of structure of love and and, and the relationship I had with my mum really I think that's so that's so interesting to put it like that to put it like in the terms of structure and I think that's sometimes what's hard to explain when you do lose a parent whatever your relationship with them really is like they are your internal structure they are your internal foundations like if you don't get on with them you know it's like yeah. you learn you have learned they are the people who showed you this is how to make this is how we do things yeah and yeah I think that especially when you are so close and you do get on well with a parent and they die it's yeah like your inner foundations just cr have crumbled and there's I think that there's an organization don't know if you've heard them called motherless mothers I can't remember the lady's name who set it up but she set it up specifically with that in mind that mm. when you have to become a mother it is such a strange traumatic evolutionary process of being a woman and to not have a mother around, like you said, or to have her in, in being sick at that time must have been just so difficult. And to find out she had cancer when you had had an 11-week-old baby, like, I can't imagine. That must have been so, so difficult because your focus is on this new baby, but then you're having to have your focus pulled to, like, oh, and now my mum is sick, like, and dealing with doctors and that language when, you you know, you're also trying to wrap up a new baby and shut the doors on it. That must have been so hard, Jess. Oh, it was absolutely fucking awful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's no other way to to put it really. And I um I you know, the, the kind of transition between, you know, the 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 days and weeks and, and this kind of three months before mum became ill 
me and Otty were kind of the centre of, of everything that she was doing and wanted to be doing. And yeah. she was coming over every day and very much kind of absolutely kind of wrapping us up and looking after us. And and then suddenly, you know, she's in hospital, diagnosed with a high-grade brain tumour that we very, very shortly after were told was terminal. And everything had to change then. You know, she mm. she she was... She was so brave, Mum. She was so brave and unself-pitying, but she naturally needed a lot of a lot of looking after, and and so there was a com- kind of complete turn. You know, it meant you know we were up up at hers every day. I, it was very difficult. You know, Mum would come and have you know regular time with Ottie, where she she would help me with her as well, and just you know take her out and look after her. So, and none of that could happen anymore, and. Um, there was a triangulation of mine and mum's relationship when Ottie was born, which was, it was just like everything that we had always had together suddenly just kind of was ripped open into this kind of roaring, amazing kind of technicolour of, you know, her now being a granny and like, mm. and in lots of ways, you know, when you have a granny who is as involved as mum was, they're almost like another parent, you know. Yeah, yeah. They know your baby so intimately and, you know, they they, they don't know th- know them from a kind of sanitised perspective of kind mm-hmm. of the occasional visit, you know. They're face down in the kind of, you know, the explosive nappies that, you know, cake them in poo from neck <laughs> to knees. They're kind of mopping me up when I had some really horrible kind of early postnatal depression just after she was born you know with the like kind of bringing over sanitary pads and then getting the t- you know the cabbage out holding the cabbage on my boob or she was you know it was very very intimately mm. both in a kind of practical and an emotional sense kind of very involved way that she was and so when you know we found out which was basically in the space of um, a week from when she became ill, so we were told that she was terminal. Oh, that's no time at all, my goodness. Yeah, seven days. The onset of, of how I felt beyond that was, I mean, really, my grieving started that day, you know. Mm. Um, I've read a lot about this, but, you know, the whole thing about ambiguous loss and how grief, yeah. and how grief starts in, in relation to a person who is has a terminal illness or, 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 or very... Um, which they will kind of deteriorate from very, very quickly, or, or actually illnesses like Alzheimer's or, or cancer, you know, all these things where, where someone basically starts to disappear, you know, they, they start mm. to, they're physically there, but they are, they are changing, your life is changing, what you, you know, your horizons are, are, have been completely transformed. And that's really what I've, I've, I felt after mum was diagnosed is that, and I didn't know that, that what I was feeling was grief because I didn't know what grief was. Mm. But I entered a very, 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 very dark space of grief throughout that summer, which which was acute for, I guess, for the next kind of six months until I kind of really started to kind of come to terms really with what was, ha- was happening. And there was some weird kind of normalisation of where we were and... But it was one of Mum's best friends that, that said it to me. She just said to me, "My well, darling, you're, you're grieving." And but it wasn't just, you know, it was grieving for for everything, you know, mm. for everything that we were we were never going to have, you know, the fact that Mum 
this kind of newfound relationship and this newfound aspect to our relationship that had just ignited in the most glorious way suddenly had a very very definite endpoint on it and um it was really really re- and and seeing her with Otti actually was you know there was there was this moment it, there was, it was about 2 weeks before she got ill on my birthday and um every year me and mum since i was 12 would do the same thing on my birthday even in peak political years you know she mum was the busiest person I knew but she was also the most generous with her time and somehow made time for for everybody but you know as her her daughter and her family it was like that times a million you know so Mm. I I never felt she wasn't available to me I mean even when she was in the cabinet you know there'd be times when I would call her not knowing that she was in a very busy meeting and she'd pick up the phone in a hushed voice and go, darling, everything okay? And I was like, yeah, can you speak to us? Sweetheart, I'm just in cabinet. Can I call you back? (laughs) (laughs) Just just running the country, but like, do you need to be picked up? Yeah, just just in cabinet, yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. Every year on my birthday, we would go, we did the same thing. We'd go for a really brilliant, boozy lunch at one of our favourite spots in, in Soho and then go shopping in uh, Liberties um, on what mum would call a mini melt, which is basically a <laughs> short but punchy shopping spree. <laughs> and mum, she, she wasn't, um, she, she really hated kind of gross displays of kind of wealth or grandeur or kind of materialism. But mm. she actually, when she was, you know, she, she, she didn't have money when she was younger and she earned everything that she ever had. And, you know, when she was younger, she actually, you know, made all of her own clothes because she couldn't afford to kind of buy lovely wow. clothes. And so a bit of kind of retail therapy and never kind of lost its lost its novelty yeah, on her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there was, this, there was this moment just a couple of weeks before... Um, before she she had the seizure where we were shopping for my birthday and it was the first birthday after you know years and years and years and years since I was 12 that we had Otty we'd had we'd had to slightly kind of rescue a a slightly um 
a moment when 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 spirits were were plummeting because I had I had um, stupidly plucked a load of clothes off the, the rails, not accounting for the fact that I was probably about fucking two sizes too big. Oh, so I had that no, horrible yeah, moment that. of trying to squeeze your fucking enormous tits and stomach and ask into something that was <laughs> way too small. You're like, small. what? This is not. I used to be able to hold oh, on a minute. No. It must be the wrong size. <laughs> My body has checked. Yeah, I had that not that long ago. Yeah, it's but really... this is a long-winded story. But basically, and anyway, we managed. Um, Mum, because she was a bit of a regular in liberties, called her friend Celia in personal shopping. He came down and rescued the, the day with this like loads of beautiful things, including there was this like one really beautiful like very simple but really lovely black silk dress which I put on and and I remember opening the curtain to the dressing room and seeing mum and Otty there stood together and and even then before I had any idea of what the fuck was going to happen you know a couple of weeks later I just thought I saw Otty lying on her shoulder and she just looked back at me just kind of darling you look gorgeous let's get it blah 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 and it just seemed to me like a it felt like a snapshot of the future and of all of these happy birthday days Mm. the three of us were going to have together and it was a brutal brutal kind of kind of amputation really from from that to 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 this and so yeah from a place of very closeness and happiness and it it, it's that yeah it's just I think it's well grief is always hard but when you it sounds like you guys had such a lovely relationship so there's this a real pain to it being taken when it's in such a good place and everything's nice and when she um when it eventually sort of got towards the end were you with her what happened then oh yeah yeah so I my life um I mean at the time I was um I was doing lots I was I mean just before I had Ottie I was kind of working kind of furiously busily with uh, between some music stuff I was doing at the time and also as I was very very heavily involved with without refugees choose love charity and um you know I was kind of heaving my you know eight month pregnant sized body around Greece and France and the various different projects that we were doing with the refugee communities there and then when mum got ill and having the body and then mum getting ill my world suddenly went from being kind of very big and what felt kind of dynamic to being just incredibly small you know just Mm. the two and I I feel I kind of withdrew from life completely really I um, I think it's a very common symptom with an illness is that your life shrinks into your house Mm. and then like wherever they're going for treatment and that kind of and the uh, people you see suddenly become not all those people and like you said that dynamism and life that is living somewhere else it becomes very quiet and very still and yeah it's a really strange quietening of 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 living that has to happen when someone is dying that's exactly such a beautiful way of putting it It is a quietening of living and and I, I think also because your because your kind of emotional capacity reduces down so much because mm. every part of you is going into kind of emotionally and practically looking after this person you just don't have it in you to manage anything at all other than Mm. the people that are just so central to your world yeah and um it really reduces down to who those people are and so the year that we had was um you know mum went through treatment options were were very very limited and um we were told we're almost certainly going to be ineffective 
And then we had a year, I mean, months of then trying to access more kind of experimental treatments, which were, none of them had any kind of prove, like were proven to be curative, but they they were sh- they were thing, things which promised hope. And I think mm. when you're living with somebody who is so central to your universe, who's been given a terminal diagnosis, actually living with hope is the best medicine for everyone of all and being told that there's no hope is actually more crushing than a diagnosis itself Mm. you know and so we were just but it then became very clear really over Christmas that this thing was starting to really really starting to to rage in a different way and her last ever kind of public appearance was a speech that she gave in in the House of Lords where she made a, a, a call to completely transform cancer care and treatment mm. in the UK. I mean, it, it, it's not an overstatement to say that it was a, a triumphant moment. It, it absolutely was. I mean, I mean, even more so if you knew how poorly she was yeah, at that time. Because I, I remember that speech. I remember that irony of people listening because of what she'd been going through. But in my head, that was you know she was that wasn't so close to her death I I didn't really now you say those timelines I'm like my goodness she must have been so that must have been incredibly well she need a lot of strength to stand up and talk about that in the house of lords when you're suffering yourself it was on the 25th of January that she did the speech and she she died on the 12th of May so it was it was it was just you know just over three months and um but you know, she she was a campaigner and, and, a, and a kind mm. of an activist, really through and through, Mum. And so, for her doing this speech and, and and instigating this campaign, the legacy of which has been huge and something that I work I'm working on in a very full time way to deliver. At that time, it was it was just everything for her. It was so important for her and. A couple of days before she was due to do the speech and then she also had um, a series of kind of big press moments as well that week she did a big interview with, with Nick Robinson for, for um, the Today, the Today programme. You know, we, we were sat at home on, on the Sunday before this huge, huge week that she had. And her speech by this point was really deteriorating. And she was she was so fucking hardcore, Mum, in the most brilliant way, and very unself pitying. But she'd become very good at actually masking how difficult it was, mm-hmm. and she wouldn't let on, us on to us quite how difficult it was. And if she was struggling for work, I mean, I I obviously because I I knew her so well, I could notice the kind of nuance and things that was changing before something mm-hmm. a big step down happened. But she was very good at masking it. But then on the Sunday before this big week that she was going, that she, she had, we were sat around just having dinner together as a family at her, at her, at, um, our house, family house, which was then in, in Highgate. And, um, and suddenly, just mid-sentence, she just couldn't, it was literally like her speech, every kind of component of her speech was just kind of scattered like a handful of marbles and there was absolutely it was like the motor function to form the words when the vocabulary went and it literally just went like that and it was it was it was one of the most kind of distressing moments really because it just suddenly felt 
this thing was so in the room with us mm. you know this thing which we no matter how much we we were trying to apply you know all of the kind of lessons of presence and just taking one day at a time and it was just absolutely in the air we were breathing all together I think that's a really um, powerful way of uh, visualizing it and that's really interesting especially with cancer isn't it because you you like you said you do so well and because you are a family unit and you know how to be you know you can very easily slip into family unit and the dynamics and chatting about things that need doing or what someone so and so rang and said this you know all that kind of minutiae of of a family and then suddenly to be reminded like oh god yeah the cancer is still very much here is yeah difficult sounds like a stupid word (laughs) like it just is difficult isn't it I guess it's that thing that we were talking about when you use the phrase dead and dying. It's like, you know, as humans, sometimes things are just too painful. So you constantly sidestep them and look at them from an angle. And then every now and again, it, it, it snaps, slaps you in the face and you're like, oh, yeah, this is happening. Yeah, and it's unavoidable. And it's, mm. and it's, and it's this weird thing. Of basically, what you're talking about is a kind of cluster of cells of like yeah. this tiny biology, small enough to hold in your hand, yet has the power to fucking destroy your whole you know destroy your whole family i mean it's yeah. it's just so it's, weird and this 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 day this this moment it was the most kind of tangible sense of that and then obviously with the build up to this massive week that she was about to have but mum she just turned to us and she just smiled and she sort of gestured as if to say it's okay to us and you know we were all really trying to hold it together but were clearly all very distressed mm. by what was going on Anyway, she wrote down on a piece of paper that she wanted to go and see her oncologist the next day to get some steroids. So she went down to the Marsden, picked up a load of steroids, which, which probably should have lasted her for a few weeks, basically dosed herself up. Oh, my God. Didn't even really tell it. I don't know how many of them she took, but she, she dosed herself up so heavily that the next morning she was, like, sharp as a fucking button. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was just like fuck this thing if it thinks it's going to stop me from doing this week so every single moment of that you know every single syllable of that speech when she took to her feet that day was a moment of sheer and utter grit determination to get through it which is why you know not only was it a triumph for what it was kind of communicating but it was just a very very unbelievable human triumph of determination and absolute kind of fire to live to absolutely fucking live even when under the shadow of your own death you know and I I, obviously I didn't know then how little time we had left we only had if, if you know three months left but now what I can see is that she was living even more fiercely under the shadow of her death as a result of it but you know just to talk about the end as you said I I never spoke about mum dying with her we never spoke about it explicitly it was just too painful to to, to say it out loud I yeah. mean I mean it was latent obviously amongst us all because we all knew what was happening and obviously between my dad and my brother and me and the rest of our family we would obviously we would it was all we could talk about and but with mum it was never a conversation that any of us had with her directly although I've, I learned afterwards it was a conversation she had with her friends but it didn't mean we were kind of 
it, it wasn't because there was a, a denial of of it I just think some things are just too painful to to talk about and and if there was ever a moment where she could feel that it was just weighing particularly heavy on me she would just say I love you forever darling I love you forever I love you forever and ever and ever and and I feel that now you know even though she's she's gone I feel her love I feel she loves me forever it's the most extraordinary thing really which is why this whole thing of being motherless um I don't feel motherless weirdly <laughs> I feel I don't feel motherless I I feel the love and the mothering I had from her she loved me in a way that has kind of enabled me to navigate my way without her mm. I I've said before like all, I think all you can do as a parent is love them so hard and so much that when you die they still know it exactly like that's basically you can't control anything else but you can love them so hard <laughs> that like when you go they still feel like oh my god they're still squeezing me like, okay and that's that's really that's wonderful if you can achieve that as she obviously did with you that's so wonderful and it doesn't I'm getting better and you know god I'm still learning my grief journey at holding two things at the same time because I think for a long time you're just like well I'm just so sad and that's so overwhelming and that's so painful and I'm trying to get better at being like but yet they still love me and yet I still feel their love and the two things exist at the same time you can feel that pain and and such exquisite sadness that it's like physical it's a howling sadness isn't it yeah and then at the same time you can still feel that love Mm. and that I think is you know that for me has been such a big part of my not not acceptance really I don't know if you ever get to that place but just learning to sit with what happens to you Mm. and being like yeah I have I do know that he loved me and I do feel it still and yet it's still very painful and sad and it still makes me occasionally want to throw things and be like well why did that happen that's not Mm. fair Mm. and I think yeah it's hard as humans we want one or the other we want truths you know and it's like actually the truth is it's it's extremely seemingly painful and sad and she really really loved you and those like they're sort of intertwined together and that it's like you said like you almost I do understand not having those conversations obviously like some people want to and if you want to and you can wonderful but it sounded like you didn't have any doubt with your relationship there wasn't any like oh you know we need to discuss this problem or this thing it's like it sounded like you both knew absolutely wholeheartedly that you loved each other so I can understand you know discussing the death just being there was just nothing that was left unsaid there was nothing Mm. more that needed to be said between us you know ever you know other than just wanting to have more 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 living and life together but it's Mm. there was nothing nothing that was unsaid and I think that that definitely is incredibly um emancipating actually Mm. it's freeing one of the most amplified feelings I have alongside the kind of what at times still feels like kind of howling deep howling sadness is gratitude Mm. and and it just amplifies everything that I just feel so grateful for in my life and even when mum was dying and even you know after you know very very shortly after she died those were still very very acute feelings for me and to feel so grateful for everything that we had you know even though you of course you always want more how could you not want more 
life and living with with one of the people that you love most in your world but you know even with Otty where for me and the my kids you know that for me is is the rawest place of my grief Mm. that mum isn't here to be with them and Mm. not having the kind of that next step of the kind of maternal experience of her through the experience of her being a granny with with the girls and I not just my kids my my brother my brother as well who had his first daughter Sky after mum died so she never met my brother's um and he's him and his wife um Ella are about to have their second baby and and that to me is I mean with with everything else I can apply a lens where I say you know what you how lucky were you to have had Mm. this absolutely glorious like life-defining loving incredible relationship with your mum till you were 37 and how lucky are you to that you know some people who who lose their parents or a parent when they're they're very very little, or so every, every part of that I'm I'm counting the blessing and the gratitude of, but with the girls it's where I f- I find myself feeling most raw and where it feels most cruel. I totally understand, and I I wonder with children when you do have children and, and there's a parent not there, <laughs> say it, carry on, um, dead. Um, it's something because that experience is so joyful. Mm. So like the rest of your life, like there might be hard bits or, you know, it's it's more complicated. But when you see grandparents or grandchildren, most of the time, obviously it's not everyone's experience. It's normally just a joyful experience, especially if, you know, you had seen her with Ottie and you knew she would be a lovely granny. It becomes, like I said, that really, like you're describing that raw painful because, you know, it's, it just would have been nice. That that bit would have been nice. You know, there might have been other things that were difficult or arguments or work or stress, but her just hanging out with them would only have been nice. So it, it gives it an added spike <laughs> as it hits yeah. you, doesn't it? When you're like, oh, that that would have been nice. I think sometimes those are the memories or not memories, those are the experiences that, like you said, feel raw when you're when you are doing that thing to yourself, when you're like, oh, if they were here. And sometimes I think, oh, if they were here, you know, oh, that it's good he didn't see that, blah blah blah. That wouldn't have liked that. But it's the ones where you're like, oh no, they would like that. Oh, <laughs> like, you know, these things are just just painful. What was it like just to go back? What we said at the beginning, like when she died, and it was sort of newsworthy. Was that difficult in any way, or was that actually? Because I've spoken to people who have had parents who are famous for various reasons, but varying from journalism to acting, and all of them have said it's a, an unusual twist on it that you know you're turning on the television and seeing their face or you're looking at a newspaper and people are discussing them did that help was it comforting or it was kind of amazing really I I I knew how I already knew and was incredibly proud of how really universally loved and respected mum was and I and Mm. I and I I knew that and I think she knew that while she was alive too but the outpouring of of love and of tributes and of of the kind of mourning of of people all over the country Mm. it was it was just incredible and in in the weird kind of negative space that death is it was a kind of it was an extension of the celebration of who she was Mm. and that's how I felt about it I felt it was the kind of expression of what an extraordinary person that she was Mm. and she was so you just had your two-year anniversary that's right yeah 
in May, and that was in lockdown. How was that grieving that in lockdown? Like, did that affect it in any way? Or so I find the win the the last couple of years. So there's a window between Mother's Day mm. and then my birthday, and then the twelfth of May, which for the last two years, I have gone into a very very weird kind of mm. immovably sort of quite dark headspace mm. so mother's day sort of birthday and then mum's anniversary all in lockdown was it was a really tough few weeks and mm. um but for me actually the, the day that i find the hardest is mother's day really i'm surprised by how difficult i find that i find it mm. the last couple of years i've it's actually been one of my worst days more than christmas do you think that's due to the because I've also it was all right this year actually but father I think because I I was distracted with a newborn so yeah, I was yeah. like I can't really cope <laughs> with it um but I think that the increase of social media and the increase of people sharing stuff about their wonderfully healthy living parents <laughs> like that for me has has sort of like again it just puts it in your face a bit more I think before like when I was a teenager and it was father's day I sort of knew about it because you'd walk past Clinton cards and yeah, there yeah. were Father's Day cards. But yeah. other than that, your friends didn't say to you, oh my God, it's Father's Day, like, what are we going to do? Like, particularly, it wasn't like a, an issue. And now, you know, you go onto your Instagram, or your Facebook, or wherever, where is a place where most of us go to, like, not think and just be like, oh, nice, okay, fine. And you see all these, it becomes so much, it seems to me it's got so much louder, which is lovely and wonderful. And I, I get that people want to shout about their amazing parents, but if you are in the club, it's like, suddenly you're like, oh, oh that's what I'm missing. <laughs> like, it's so visual. You're like, oh, I see. Oh, he came round, did he? And had a barbecue and like held your kids. Right. Yeah, that didn't occur to me. That is a thing that I am now missing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's exactly right. And I guess for, for me, because it's still so new, mm. I... I'm already feeling like that a lot and so that day is it's just everything it's just everything about it it's just um I think it's the kind of mirror reflection of everyone else you know in the sort of as I as I said the kind of the, the magic of their ordinary yeah lives with with with, with their mums and also it just amplifies something which I don't have which was one of the most centrally precious things I had in my life which was my relationship mm. with my mum she would she would she would hate to think of me being so sad you know she would hate it she would absolutely hate but it I yeah. also think that's like that thing about like oh people often say that like oh they'd hate you to be sad and you go well then she shouldn't have been such a good mum <laughs> then maybe I wouldn't miss her so like it's all very well isn't it I think missing is just so much part of it so, and again it's about holding all these things at the same time like yes you can understand that humans die that's you know that is literally what we're put here to do this only thing that we will all share shared experience we are all born we are all gonna die and then you can just miss someone yeah. <laughs> like and it's just exactly it's, I think I spent a long time looking for logic and now I just kind of go just miss it yeah sounds like you had a really really nice relationship and sounds like she was a really great mum and of course you like you just miss that and I think yeah just holding that sadness and just letting it it be is is so hard because it's so painful (laughs) and because every little bit of you wants to like just be like I don't I just don't want to carry this today you know and especially that six-week gauntlet you're talking about I really feel for you because it 
I've had people message me as well saying like, you know, their dad died on Father's Day. So they get this like double whammy and it's like, because my anniversary is April and then Father's Day, I think is like June, isn't it? So I like have a bit of a break. Mm, (laughs) I think May for me is like, okay. And then Father's Day and then we're kind of done until his birthday in December. So, you know, you kind of, but it's, it's the thing you learn when you lose a parent that, and I guess it's similar to having a child, you know, like suddenly when you have a child, there's all these weird dates that suddenly matter in a way that you didn't, you know, you didn't know, you thought all that matters is a birthday. And when you lose a parent, it's the same thing, you know, there's the anniversary of their death, the anniversary of their diagnosis, the date of their funeral, like all these things become become significant. And not, you know, not everybody feels like that, but if you do, it's it's totally fine to, to allow that pain to be there. Exactly, and that's I, I, just so so beautifully put, and, and it's it's exactly right, you know. And I and I do think, for me anyway, grief has been it's been a very expansive experience. It hasn't it hasn't felt kind of restrictive or constraining. It's actually been incredibly expanding, and to to the point where I feel I've seen, you know, it's like seeing colours of of a you know a rainbow that you you just didn't know existed before mm. and and I feel yeah. like through the the kind of life-changing really sort of reorganizing experience of grief that I've been through and losing my my mum has given me kind of windows in into feelings and um, comprehension of, of things which I just didn't even know existed before and there's incredible kind of richness in that as well and what I've tried to do now is like if I'm having if if something's happened and I just feel like it's fucking throwing me back down to the pits of it again it's just to not kind of shut myself up for, off from it and just kind mm. of and resist it it's actually just as you say to sit in it and to kind of look around what's there because there's also some incredible incredible things in that blackness too and you know what I realized is that you know the very deepest darkest pit of grief is 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 love isn't it mm. it's just your love and it's it's how you love them and and if that's how you can kind of reframe it in your mind is that you know these very sort of low kind of flat dark moments you can go through if you actually reframe that as the kind of really bring brought brought down to the kind of deepest deepest kind of well of of your connection of love to them which really is I do believe the eternal nature of the eternal part of living Mm. then that is a very reassuring thing and it's um I've learned not to be scared of my grief I've learned to kind of find ways to be with it and let it come in when it when it really roars well Jess thank you so much for talking to me I mean I knew about her anyway, but it's so nice to hear it. I think you really honor her because she sounds like such a great mum. <laughs> she sounds so nice and lovely. And so it's nice to know that, yeah, you know, the other side to what was already an amazing, dynamic, brilliant woman. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just really glad that you, that you told us about her. Oh, well, honestly, I've been very, I feel very, very honored. So thank you. You can follow Jess on Twitter at I am Jess Mills and you can follow her on Instagram at This Is Jess Mills. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland. The music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. The artwork is by Jade Perkin. I've been Carrie Lloyd. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, you are not alone.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.